Welcome to Live in the Messiah's Love. I'm Kimisha Lucier, one of the senior pastors of A Day of Prayer. I'm so glad we're together today discussing the word, and I'm excited about uh, this episode. So it's called The Weapons of Our Warfare. Our starting scriptures are Ephesians 6, which is no doubt um, a section of scripture you've read before, but let's just read verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then let's connect that with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when we're talking about, you know, we've talked about prayer, we spent some some episodes talking about praying for our families, praying for our children, and releasing our faith, and understanding how to use the spiritual weapons that we have is vital to us having effective prayers, but also walking in victory in our life in general. God didn't leave us helpless. He didn't leave us without the aid of the Holy Spirit. And he has put certain tasks in our authority so that we could rule over the adversary and deal with the spiritual, the wicked spiritual forces that are in heavenly places around us. So as we're talking about the word today, I want you to bring to mind the previous episodes that we've talked about prophetic intercession and praying for your children and, and those things. And I want you to add this to it and incorporate it in what you're doing in your walk in your life as a believer. Again, the Lord has already given us victory in Christ Jesus, and he left task for us to handle, especially concerning our own life. And that is using the weapons that he's given us, the weapons of our warfare, um, to keep the adversary under our feet. Jesus already did the main work of it, and he left us to do our part of that, which is just enforce what he's done. So we're going to talk about a few of those weapons. First of all, the blood of Jesus. When we get saved, we come into a covenant relationship with the Lord where we are able and become partakers of what he did on the cross and what his blood bought and paid for. It's more than just salvation from hell and a ticket to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses us from our sins it cleanses us from dead works, and it is used to draw a line, a bloodline around your family, which is a hedge of protection. And you can use the blood of Jesus and apply the blood of Jesus to your physical safety, your body and your health, your finances, your identity, your home, your um, your pantry, your food, your vehicles as you're driving down the road. And it is a barrier for the children of God of safety and refuge. So 
taken a time to let's let's look at Romans chapter eight. And when you have a chance, um, just look these scriptures up that we're going to go over tonight and meditate on them and then apply them in your life. Apply these strategies to your everyday. Romans eight verses two through four says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So see, we hear that again, walking according to the spirit, but the blood of Jesus Christ keeps us and it redeems us from the law of sin and death. He's not just talking about the law of Moses and um, that kind of thing, because if you if you think about this, sin came in well before Moses was on the earth and sin was at work and at play in humanity and creation from the Garden of Eden. So salvation in Jesus Christ doesn't just take us back to redeem us so we don't have to follow the Mosaic law. It takes us all the way back to who we were and what the relationship that we have had with Christ Jesus before sin came into the earth. It it rewinds us, if you will, all the way back to before sin came into play. And it allows us to have that one-to-one, breast-to-breast, breath-to-breath relationship with Jesus Christ. So the blood of Jesus is powerful and it is actually what stops the law of sin and death, which is you sinned, now you must die. And the sin being in people's lives is what gives the adversary, um, access to them. So applying the blood of Jesus first, because you're saved and then actively applying it to your life and to the, what belongs to you keeps the adversary out. It's akin to that hedge of protection that, um, you can see in Job chapter one, where the devil was walking around and looking and going, I can't reach him. I can't get to him. Now, in the scriptures, Jesus hadn't yet died, physically died, but the protection that belongs to us in his blood, you could compare it to that, except this is an impenetrable wall. And the only way the adversary can get in is if we fail to put up the hedge or we start chopping it down ourselves because we are willfully practicing sin. So since we're not doing any of those things, we are actively going to apply the blood of Jesus and you apply the blood of Jesus verbally. Um, In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over my house, over my children, over my, my vehicles, and you cover every aspect of it, uh, top to bottom, front to back, side to side, all the windows and the doors. And yes, you take the effort to do just that. You plead the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus over everything that the Lord has entrusted to your care. And you know, it's not more important to have children or not have children, but if you do have them, plead the blood of Jesus over them. If you do not have children, plead the blood of Jesus over yourself and over what belongs to you and what God has given to you. Next, we have the name of Jesus. His name is the name given above every name. And at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, whether they are in heaven, on the earth, or beneath the earth, they will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, this is not just a future in the 
someday in the, in the future, when the Lord comes back, this will be applicable. Nope. This applies right now. The name of Jesus and our covenant relationship with him gives us access to use the name of Jesus. That's been highly exalted. That has power over all the works of the adversary. And again, we apply and we actively use what the Lord has given us. These are the tools that he's given us so that we have victory over the adversary. We cannot fight spiritual warfare by natural means. And the Lord was very well aware of that, which is why he gave us these spiritual weapons. But using them, knowledge of them, first of all, and then using them correctly will be a game changer in your life because you don't have to be afraid and sitting around waiting for God to do what he's already told you to do is a fruitless (laughs) behavior, but a fruitful behavior is taking up with the authority that God gave you in the name of Jesus, taking up what he left for you to use and to do and to have and using it appropriately will be a game changer, will change your very life, your everyday life. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter one, verse 20 through 22. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Remember, we talked about it's not just the sweet by and by that the name of Jesus is powerful and that every knee is going to bow. It is here and now today. Think about Jesus when he walked in the earth and he came in, um, a demon came to his presence. Jesus didn't cower away. He cast them out. Now we don't have authority in our own personal names. The name of Kamisha won't get you very far. (laughs) Your name is not going to take you very far, but the name of Jesus, especially when you have the right to use it because you have a covenant relationship through salvation, that name will do all the work. All of heaven is backing that name. So You know, it's different than the seven sons of Sceva that you see in Acts going, I don't have a relationship, but this Jesus that I heard about, I'm going to try to exercise these demons and cast them out. And the demons prevailed over the seven sons of Sceva in that, um, in that event, because the sons of Sceva didn't have the right to use the name of Jesus because they had not believed on the name of Jesus and confessed him as Lord partaking of salvation. They just overheard and said, Oh, that Lord, there's a new gimmick. Uh, on the market, I'm going to give it a try. But that's, that's not what the Lord is saying to us here. He's telling us because we have a covenant, use the name of Jesus and his name has been positioned higher than any other name. And so because it is higher and all of heaven is backing this name, and I mean the full throne of God is backing the name of Jesus Christ, then the work will be done because who can resist God? Who can prevail against him? The answer is no one. So glory to God. We want to make sure that we're using the name of Jesus effectively and we do not take the name of Jesus in vain. We don't play with it in disrespect or disregard, but we have full confidence that what the name is designed to do and the Lord said his name will do that. It will, it's able, and it will carry that work out to completion. Now let's take a look at Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11. 
And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And it's, it's not our business to try to figure out how it works. We just know that it does work and God will take care of what needs to be done in every situation. And again, the name of Jesus is to deal with spiritual things. So for example, I can't use the name of Jesus just because I don't like your opinion. I can't use it against you as a person. It's not a weapon for human flesh. It's for spiritual matters, right? When the Lord spoke with Peter, right? Peter, when he heard and declared that Jesus is Lord, the Lord was like, right, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Amen. Keep going. But when, <laughs> when Peter ceased to listen to the Holy Spirit and transitioned to human flesh, which actually was providing an opportunity for the adversary or Satan to work through him, he said, get behind me, Satan. So he spoke to the spirit behind it. Not he wasn't trying to embarrass Peter or to control or dominate Peter. He was speaking to the spirit behind what Peter was saying that was using Peter's ignorance at the moment and his fleshly behavior as an opportunity to try to sway Jesus from fulfilling the call and the plan of God on his life. So again, nothing that God tells us to do is about controlling someone else's flesh. He gave us self-control and he told us to train and raise up our children. Self-control, train and raise up your children if you have them, but not me control you or you try to control me because that actually comes from the devil trying to control someone else or, and to recognize what's going on, you need the Holy Spirit to tell you to distinguish between the matter and realize that the adversary only wants to draw us away from the plan of God. He only wants to stop the goodness and the will of the Lord and cause us to deny Christ in some way, shape or another. So when the Lord was speaking to Peter again, it wasn't about Peter's flesh. It was the spirit behind it. So that's the next point. The name of Jesus gives us power to cast out demons and power over the adversary. Let's look at Mark 16 and verses 17 through 18. And pardon me. I thought I had that marked in my Bible, but I don't. Verses 17 through 18, it says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So amen. That's what we have in the name of Jesus. Now, the next weapon is we have is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You saw that also in Mark um, 16 verses 17 and 18, when it references, they will speak with new tongues. That's a direct um, reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he told his disciples, don't go out and try to preach the gospel. Don't go out and start this journey until you have received this gift from the father. Wait until you receive him. And he was so important. Holy Spirit was so important to our Messiah that he talked about him often and frequently because he has Holy Spirit has his own role to play in the earth for the believer. And he is the one who empowers us to do those things that the Lord charged us with doing. 
again, Jesus didn't start his ministry uh, fully and go out into the wilderness to be tempted by the adversary and to overcome the adversary until he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John baptized them with water and the dove descended or the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and landed or lighted on Jesus and remained. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus was led into the wilderness to take dominion over the adversary and to destroy the works of the devil, right? That was the starting process right there. So if it's important enough that God in the flesh needed Holy Spirit's power, who do we think we are to go without it? So I'm just saying we need it too. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. So, and if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is just as easy as salvation. Believe in your heart that the Lord already said that this is something he has promised you and given to you and um, believe that you receive, ask the Lord to give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit because asking is a part of God's process, not because you have to beg him for it, but he said, these are the necessary steps, right? So we honor God in that by taking the steps he said are appropriate. And then the moment you ask, believe that you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you open your mouth and begin to pray in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gives you utterance. Holy Spirit will not take over your body or your mouth and force you to say anything because again, he doesn't operate like that. He gave us a free will and he doesn't violate it. The devil wants to take possession of people's bodies and control them like puppets. That's not a God attribute. That's the adversary. The Lord wants, he will prompt you. He will put the words there for you to speak, but you have to speak them. So be willing, open your mouth and let those words flow and Holy Spirit will be there. He will always protect you. And if we ask anything, right, if we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a rock. If we ask for a fish, he's not going to give us a snake. And if you continue reading in that particular, particular parable, you'll see that it culminates with the Lord giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we don't need to be afraid or cautious. We need to just put our trust in the Lord, just like we did for salvation and receive it. Believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. And just like Jesus is, will be our Lord, Holy Spirit will come and rest upon you for that um, experience. Next, repent of sin and then receive the Lord's forgiveness. It's important that we address when we have wronged the Lord, when we have violated his word. Um, Some things you may not know are a violation of God's word. And not that it permits the sin, but God understands and he's able to help you in what you don't know because he knows that we are humans and we're limited and we don't know everything. But what you do know, if you know that you've wronged the Lord, tell him you're sorry. Um, and then receive his forgiveness because he is faithful, especially if you are already saved and you have done something and you have disobeyed the Lord in an area or you didn't, um, you did something you weren't supposed to, or, you know, whatever that is, let God know, and then honor him and recognize and tell him, you know, to say, God, forgive me. And then not say forgive me so you can repeat it again intentionally because there's no forgiveness for that. That's intentional sin. That's iniquity. But what you can do is say, God, I'm sorry and help me overcome this. If it's an area where you're just weak, where your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, help ask God to help you with that. You know, some fasting might be in order to buffet your flesh and some prayer might be in order, but realize 
that forgiveness is available the moment you ask and that you've determined to go away from that behavior. It's not making a 360 because that turns you around in a complete circle. It's not going in the opposite direction because the opposite direction might still be wrong, (laughs) but it's going towards what God has already said in his word. And it's going towards what the Lord has prompting you to do right now, what he's telling you with his Holy Spirit is guiding you and leading you to do. That's what's right. So you don't have to guess. You don't have to make your own version of it or try to figure it out. Just go with what God has already said and, um, you know, keep moving forward with him, what he said in his written word and what he's saying and prompting you by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does repentance and receiving the Lord's forgiveness do for us? Why is this such a powerful weapon? Number one, it closes the door to the devil's access to you in your life. And that includes your children and your family. Why do I keep mentioning that? Go search the scriptures and look at what happened in David's life when he sinned with Bathsheba. This is just one example. Um, But you could even look at Saul's life. I mean, there's many cases. What happened when he sinned before he was favored of God and he was untouchable? The Lord promised that he would never fail to have um, an heir to sit on his throne. And that had a, a double meaning. It had it was specifically and most importantly, talking about the Messiah being in his lineage the spiritual implications of that, that would, would become natural. But he was also talking about a king literally from his family being on the throne of Israel. He was, it was a a dual meaning, a dual reference there. And God wanted to do both of those things. But when David did not remain with the Lord and he had an affair with someone else's wife and then plotted to have her husband killed and then had him killed, that created separation between David and God. And when that happened, it opened the door for the adversary to run ruckshot. If you look back at when the prophet Nathan came to him, the Lord was like, because you've done this, now these things are going to be permitted. And this sword is going to go through your family. Now, had David kept the door closed by resisting that sin, the devil wouldn't have been able to touch him. But again, connect that to what happened in Job chapter one, the devil's looking around for someone who, who he can devour, right? We see that in the scriptures, but the hedge of protection was around Job. So he couldn't touch him. And the devil was pulling his hair out, if you will, trying to find a way and figure out how to get to Job and Job's possessions and Job's family. But he couldn't because the hedge of protection was there. Now, when Job entered into fear, that opened the door for the adversary. But for David, in this instance, we're talking about, and fear is a sin because God said, don't fear, fear not, right? But the sin that David committed opened the door. And then after that, his whole family went crazy all but, you know, his his sons killed, one son killed another son, one raped, the son raped the daughter. And then, you know, all these other, ungodly things started unraveling. A son took over his throne and then, you know, was having sexual relations with his dad's concubines and wives on top of the roof. And I mean, just all this stuff happened as a result of David opening the door to the adversary through sin could have been avoided, right? So because also he dwelt so long without repenting, 
he closed his eyes to that for almost for about a year, I believe. And um, for some time before he said, God, I'm sorry, and turned his life around. Now, God knew that he would repent for his sin. But still, when we don't repent, when we leave sin on the books, it's on the books. And the adversary does not take a day off because of a technicality, because we forgot about that or because we we don't mean it anymore, but we never came and made it right and reconciled with God. He's going to run ruckshot as long as the door is open. He's going to steal, kill, and destroy any chance he gets or that he has an opportunity. So our job and our business is to stand in what the Lord called us to and keep our foot on his neck and not give him a place to roam or to move or have um, freedom to move in our lives. Now, I can't do that for you, but I can do it for me. And then I can teach you. I can encourage you to do that in your own life, but you do have to take up this authority for yourself. Sin creates a barrier between you and God. When it's, when we commit sin, especially willingly, that that's really the biggest time that you see the barricade come up when we willingly sin against the Lord. And then if we allow it to remain, If you feel, if you know that you've missed it, quickly repent, tell God you're sorry and shut that door as quickly as possible. Come and obtain mercy (laughs) because it's ours and it's there. And then do what you need to do to make sure you don't fall into sin because you have a choice and sin does not flee just because, just because (laughs) it's effort. It takes effort. Submit to God, resist the devil, right? And then he'll flee from you. So submitting to God takes effort. Resisting the devil takes effort. And it's our job to put forth those efforts. And it's not too much to ask. Don't wink at sin in your life or the life of others. Don't condone it. Don't placate sin and don't act like, well, it's okay for you to commit that sin because I like you. Or it's okay for you to do it because, well, I understand where you're coming from. No, sin is sin. And the Lord is gracious and compassionate and we should be gracious and compassionate, but it doesn't mean that we align ourselves with it or condone things that we know that violate our God. Because in that instance of doing so, we actually deny Christ. If I say, well, it's okay for you to do something that I know the Lord already said is wrong because, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I know my God has already made a stance on it. I'm actually choosing another God and I'm denying Christ. I'm denying what I know of him. I'm denying his word and I'm denying his very, um, his, his character and his nature and choosing instead to fall under something else um, or align with another banner, if you will, or another party than going, no, my God is right. And I understand, you know, human nature and I'm not, I'm not uh, condemning you. But I'm also going to point you to Jesus so that you will be reconciled as well. And that and do that for myself. I don't want to be disjointed. I don't want to go to hell. So I I want to know. And when I've done something wrong and acknowledge it, when I have violated my God and do my best not to do that and to live a life that he is honored by, because I want to be connected with him. I don't want to be disjointed. And I wouldn't lead anybody else into being disjointed either. So. Don't connect yourself with things that bring a connection to the curse or the penalty of sin. Why? Because if you're connected to the curse, 
right? If you're saying, well, yeah, I still, I still um, think that's valid and it holds power in my life, then again, the adversary is going to come rushing in because that's what he does. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the adversary that you don't know what you're talking, you know, that you don't fully understand what you're saying. None of that matters. Adam didn't know fully the weight of what was going to happen when he chose to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that his wife gave him. He didn't know it was going to cause all of humanity to fall from a divine connection and relationship with God. He didn't know it was going to bring death literally into the DNA of every human that would ever walk on the earth, except for Jesus Christ, because God was his father. He didn't know it would turn over all the authority on earth to the devil. He didn't know that. He didn't know the full weight, but the information he had was enough to make a solid choice. God said, don't do it. Don't eat of this fruit. And that was enough. And he should have just stood with that. But when he tried to reason it out and he connected with the curse that his wife was partaking of, now it brought the curse into his life. And the adversary came in. And as a result, when the Lord revealed to them what the cost of, of what they actually had done, then it was like, this is, this is too hard. And then there was, you know, oh man, oh me, oh my. But when God says, don't do something, rest assured, it's because it's good for you. Not because he's, he's so pious and you know, like he can't handle it. No, it's not good for you. He's not going to cease to be who he is. He's always going to be God, whether I'm next to him or not, whether we're in his kingdom or not, he's always going to be God, but it's good for us to be in his kingdom. So he tells us what's good for us so that we don't fall. And then, and the, and the last point for the repent for sin, it says, don't align yourself. And I'm just reading my notes. Don't align yourself with things or people or lifestyles or beliefs that are contrary to God and his word. Why? Again, because that's denying Christ. So let's look at a couple of um, scriptures that go, go with this, just to put some eyes on the word of God. Romans 10 Verse nine, it says that if you confess your with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is how we apply, right? Um, to receive salvation. This is how we receive salvation. And we receive what his blood did for covering and removing our sin from us and the consequence of our sin from us, which is eternal separation from God. We allow him to do that for us. But then that also closes the door to the adversary. Let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verse 27. It just, it tells us just verses very simple. It says, nor give place to the devil. So that's talking about our decisions and what we choose to open the door by willfully sinning or not, or keeping the door closed or not, and continuing to remain fortified in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and protected on all sides. And so every weapon is not always an offensive weapon. It's we we know we about the um, armor of God that we have in Ephesians chapter six and the weapon of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if you look at any military, any military um, troop or things of that nature, there are offensive weapons and then there's defensive weapons. And you'll be surprised at how often a de good defensive weapon can work. And then it opens the door for using the offensive weapons properly versus us just going, you know, hacking at people and things of that nature. 
letting the Lord defend us and protect us is a big part of this. Then from the solid ground and the solid foundation that he's given us, we use those offensive weapons because there are, there's a time and a place when we need to do that. So keeping your, keeping the door closed to the devil in his access, removing the barriers between you and God and not condoning sin by connecting yourself with things that are of the curse and bring the penalty of sin or aligning yourself with things, people, people, lifestyles, beliefs, or ideas that are contrary to his word, all keep us in that safe hedge of protection. Next, we're going to talk about renounce any connection to the occult and renounce the devil's right to oppress, steal, kill, and or destroy anything in your life. Sometimes we have connected ourselves by just even upbringing that are of the occult and things like, um, have you practiced magic or dabbled in that kind of witchcraft or things like that in your past? You have to deal with that and you have to shut the door and renounce it after you get saved. You have to do that. You have to sever that tie and that connection because there are things that we don't see and we don't realize that we open the door to, like we talked about when Adam opened the door to the devil, when he just ate a piece of fruit, it seemed so such a small thing to partake of that sin, but the how great were the weight of the consequences and how deep the connections were that God literally had to put on flesh and come into the earth and deal with it with his own blood. So there are things that if you have um, partaken of things like witchcraft, things um, of that nature and the occult, you have to go, you have to go back and with your words, denounce it. Remember with our words, right. And our actions, we gain access to salvation, but believing in your heart is an action, even though it's not a, an outward physical demonstration, it's still an action. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth is still an action as well. And then you're saved. So likewise, sever that connection, believe that you have you renounce all claim that it has to you and you renounce your use of it and the need or the value that you found in it at all in the mighty name of Jesus. And then you let the blood of Jesus wash you in that area. Um, Superstitions are a part of the occult. So get rid of those as, as well. You're throwing salt over your shoulder, spitting on the broom if someone sweeps your foot, all that stuff, you break up with it in the mighty name of Jesus and you shut that door because we who come by faith believe and trust in what God has done for us. And the last point on this list is forget your sin and close out the voice of the accuser of the brethren. Don't give the adversary time to hold you hostage over the sins that Jesus has already forgiven you for or forgiven you of of committing. Once you bring your sin to Jesus, it is thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the East is from the West, so he's, so as he removed our sin from us. So when you bring it to him, don't forget it before you confess it to him. Don't, don't put it behind you before you bring it to be dealt with. But once you have brought it to the Lord and he doesn't have to say, I forgive thee. You don't have to wait for him to shine the, the ray of sunshine on the side of your face and the bird to fly across at the, the right time. Three doves fly across the sky. You don't have to wait for all that. That's religiousness. But you come in boldness and confidence that says, if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if you're already a believer. But if you're just coming to him, the moment you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he has forgiven your sins and you let that be enough for you. Don't let the devil keep talking in your your ear and in your mind about, well, you know, you did this back way over there. Mm -mm. It's it's forgiven. And if the Lord doesn't remember it, how dare I? That's something, uh, that's a strategy that the Lord gave me when I first got saved because I had done a lot of stuff wrong. (laughs) And, you know, the adversary would try to bring it up, especially when I would want to press into God and and go to the next level with God and get deeper in my relationship and have a a true relationship with him. The adversary would come and go, you can't ask for that. You can't do that because you know, you used to, um, uh, you know, and start trying to talk and discredit who I am in Christ Jesus. And he's, you know, he does the same tricks with everybody. So don't let him. If Jesus looked at you, he examined all of your sin and he said, I forgive you. That's good enough because he knows, he knows how bad it is and how bad it was and how bad it could be, but he still loved you. He still chose you. He still washed you with his blood. So if he calls it, in the sea of forgetfulness, then you call it in the sea of forgetfulness. And then ask the Lord to cleanse your conscience from dead works so that it's no longer a part of who you remember that you are, who you think or visualize when you see. And you'll see a good representation of that in Acts chapter eight, verse one, the apostle, well, this was Saul before he became the apostle. Paul was the ringleader for killing, killing, um, Stephen and, In Acts 22, he is now the apostle Paul talking about that and how the Lord began, how the Lord ministered to him. He acknowledges, yes, that was me who did that, but God came and rescued me. God changed my life. And you can find his account of that throughout the New Testament in various places. And you can see how God redeemed him. And he let God's account of him that No, he's an apostle. He's no longer the murderer. He let that be enough. The apostle Paul let that be enough for him. And he didn't carry the guilt and shame of it because Jesus Christ carried it all on the cross for him. So we can just go ahead and and speed up that process because we've already seen an example. And if God did that for him, he'll do that for us. And that's the very purpose that Jesus came into the earth so we could be reconciled to our father, no longer burdened and laden with the sin or the consequence of our sin or the remembrance of our sin, but we could take on his righteousness and receive the fullness of that. So before we go, I'm just going to recap. Here are the weapons of our warfare, the blood of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, repentance of our sin and receiving the Lord's forgiveness, renouncing any connection to the occult or the devil's right to oppress, steal, kill, or have access to our life, and then forgetting your sin and closing out the voice of the accuser so that you can look unto the Lord and you can apply these weapons and use them daily and add to them the armor of God, because that's important as well, and live your life in victory. Well, I hope this word blessed you today, and I thank you for being here with me. If you have a moment and this episode blessed your life, please like it. Um, like this episode, share it with someone else because it could be a blessing to them as well. And subscribe to this um, channel that you're listening on this podcast network and um, continue to come back every week. Let's grow and mature together. You know, it's important to the Lord that his children are prepared for his return and that they're found in faith doing what he asked them to do. So I just want to help you on that journey. 
Again, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you were blessed. And I just want to remind you and encourage you to live your life in the Messiah's love. God bless you.